Fiscal live. We talk Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. The weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Please don't stop the music. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hour two of the program underway right now. The Saturday show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, we've been talking a lot of Utah jazz, a lot of NFL. We also talked about... Uh, a semi-driver getting all 22 tires on his truck punctured, uh, but trying to avoid a toll. So had a fun show so far, and we're going to continue it here in the second hour. Uh, coming up in our next segment, we get to our one of our staples here on the show, Five Minutes Of. We talk about Saki, uh, which we have lovely termed both uh, – we kind of meld soccer and hockey together. We'll get to that. Also need to talk some college hoops as well, so we'll get to all of that coming up. But now let's uh, spend some time, I guess more time, on the NFL playoffs and hear from a guy who is in this game. He played at this level. He now calls games. I called a playoff game this past weekend for the Las Vegas Raiders. That's Lincoln Kennedy. Of course, the Raiders radio analyst alongside Brent Musburger. You can hear all of those games right here on the Zone Sports Network. He is also kind enough to join DJ and PK Weekly here on the Zone to talk all things football. That was a very good conversation between him and David James on Thursday. We're going to let you hear that conversation now. So here you go. Lincoln Kennedy with David James earlier this week on The Zone. Not so good for the Raiders. Honestly, they were stretched in that game. I honestly thought the Raiders were going to do it. Yeah, you know what? It was one of those games where they they hung in there and they gave a great fight just like the the entire season, but just came up a little bit short in the end. There's a whole theory that you've got to be aggressive and you've got to go for touchdowns and field goals don't beat anybody. And that theory took a big hit in that playoff game. Because one of the reasons I thought the Raiders had a shot is when the Bengals had a momentum and everything was going great and they had field position and they were just barely making the play. You know, oh, that's a great catch. But you don't make that catch every possession. They settled for field goals and I thought, they're letting the Raiders hang in there and the football gods will punish you for that. And they ultimately didn't. The Raiders kicked field goals too. Does this take a swipe at everybody who's you got to be aggressive and go for it and go win the game? Or no? Well, no. You know, well, here's, the, here's the thing. I, I think that there are coaches out there that tend to overthink and try to play uh, against or, 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 you know, uh, what's the best way of saying it, just are, are, are not in the, in the right frame when they, when they talk about momentum or going forward. For example, look at Los Angeles Chargers this past year. Um, when they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, the second game, um, they left nine points off the board because they yeah. kept going for it on fourth down and came up empty. And that nine points actually came back to haunt them because they ended up going overtime and they lost by a touchdown. So I think that you have to play smart and don't overthink things. But there are times where you can be aggressive and there are times where you just have to take what, what, you know, what, what the football guys have given you at that point. It's become a big deal about how the TV crew handled the inadvertent whistle. And they said that they heard it. Now, they got headsets on and they got mics all over the field. I'm not sure that you have that same thing. And if you do, not to the same degree. I've called basketball games 
which is obviously a smaller environment. Right. And depending on the arena, you can be closer to the floor. But I've called it where I've heard a whistle but wasn't sure if it came from the floor or the stands. And I found that confusing. And so I, I get how people get confused broadcasting and even how players get confused not knowing where the whistle came from and can stop. But when it ultimately turns out that it was a referee's whistle, I forget all that and I think, dude, do you not know when to blow your whistle? That wasn't close. There are situations where there could be an inadvertent whistle. That wasn't close. Yeah, and the, the thing was is that we didn't hear it in the broadcast booth until we got the report from the TV crew what, what had happened. And the thing was, you know, look, I understand mistakes happen. Human error happens. I don't have a problem with that. But in this day and age, when we have the technology and we have the things that are available at our disposal, just want them to get it right. Whether it's the replay, you see what happened, you, you slow it down, you, you just want to get it right. The, the, I'm not saying that the, the Bengals wouldn't have scored. I'm not saying that that would have changed the outcome. But you can ill afford in a playoff game when you're really the only game that's being played at that time and being watched by everybody who's a football fan or a sports fan, period. You can ill afford to have a mistake that resonates like that and not be able to do something about it or correct it. So my, my point is, is this, is that an inadvertent whistle, oh, they blew the whistle, they, they, okay, so according to the rules, you got to replay it down. The, the, the play is dead, dead you got to replay it down. Go replay it down. That's just it. Go, <laughs> go replay it down over and over again. Don't just move on. After you realize that there was a mistake, you understand your mistake, you know, it happens, okay, well, let's – Let's correct it. Let's just let, let's just get it right. Don't ignore it like it didn't happen. And that's one of the things. The reason why uh, there were reports that that that, that uh, officiating crew isn't working anymore playoff games because that was a big mistake that they just let go. They shouldn't be working anymore playoff games. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't you're, because you're right. You're 100 percent right. It might not change the outcome of the game. The Bengals might have scored it on the next play or on the replay, and they could have won right. the game anyway. They might have settled for a field goal right. and still won the game. So it's not whining about that. It's just when I'm watching football, I'm, if you're refereeing at this level, you have to know you can't blow the whistle. Then you, you just you have to know that. And if you do, you can't be rewarded with another playoff game. You can't. I, I totally agree. 100 totally agree. So Besides, that's a, that's the same crew that that worked a, a game earlier. Just a little side note: that crew worked. A, well, the the re- main referee Boger worked a, a game earlier this year um, in Las Vegas, and at the coin toss, he said the Oakland Raiders will choose to defer the kick. And it was like in Las Vegas, I'm like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me! So <laughs> uh, I find that stuff hilarious. But you know, I'm a San Diego Charger fan. I got my feelings yeah. hurt when they went to L.A. And so every time somebody slips. Uh, Michael Wilbon did it on PTI. He said, the Raiders, you know, they got that weather out there in California. And when he was done, Tony said, well, number one, they're not in California. California, And number two, don't ever bring up the weather because they play in a dome in Vegas. So, you know, Wilbon was like, ah! Everybody's making that mistake. The uh, Not this current coach, but the previous coach, when he was introduced in L.A., they just moved there, and he said San Diego Chargers. Did he? Yeah, yeah. in his press conference, and I thought well, it was Well, when I was doing radio for years, and, and, and uh, I, had, I had the hardest time saying the Los Angeles Chargers. I would say San Diego every time because growing up in San Diego, I was always used to them being the Chargers, San Diego Chargers. It, was, it is what it is. Yep. All right, so the playoffs continue now, and uh, PK will always say, you're going to pick the team with the best quarterback. Like, well... 
why would you pick against the best quarterback in such a dominant <laughs> quarterback dominant league? And the one reason to do that is the young guys getting experience. Now, we have seen young guys win Super Bowls, but also it's been very hard for them to do that the first time they're in the playoffs. Right. You know, the first time Mahomes was in the playoffs, they lost to the Patriots in right. the AFC title game. Then they went to two Super Bowls and won the first one. So I'm curious if you think Joe Burrow, he looks like a guy who's going to win a Super Bowl one day, right. which is a difficult thing to guarantee, but it does look probable. But do you think he can do it right now? Should we be looking at the Bengals as a Super Bowl contender right now? I don't think they're strong enough right now. Um, they've got some holes, especially on the defensive side. They've got some holes that I don't know if they can overcome, uh, especially looking at some of the AFC teams. But when you look at the when you look at what what, what Joe Burrow has at his disposal, uh, I knew in the, the last week's game the Raiders did not have an answer for Jamar Chase. The the fact is is that the the way the Raiders play defense, um, they they put you know a different corner in the boundary, whether it was Brandon Faison or Desmond Trufant. Each time the Bengals went after that boundary corner with Jamar Chase or another receiver. And they, they, and they didn't have an answer. They, there was no way they could stop it. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the same case going forward for the Bengals. So I think that they're close. I think they're a good team. It's good for the city. You know, after 30 years, finally winning a playoff game. Um, and it was a great environment, a great atmosphere. But I, I, don't, I, I think the road ends soon for the, for the Bengals, and it'll be this weekend. The other AFC playoff game, super intriguing. Oh, wait, I, before, before we go any further, yeah. do you think it ends, it ends this weekend? Uh, how are they going to – is Tannehill going to sling it and going to be the man and just drop back and beat him and, and pick on the matchups that you're talking about? Or do you actually expect a guy with a plate in his foot to go out and run for 100 yards? I expect them to rely heavily, or at least see what he can do. Um, you're not really going to get away from who you are. Defensive-wise, defensively, I think the Titans have done a good job at playing better throughout the year, uh, despite not having their, you know, their, their big running back. But now that he's back, I think they're going to rely heavily on him to see what he can do or how he can help going forward. All right, Derrick Henry, when I heard him say he still had a plate in his foot, I thought, you're going to play in an NFL playoff game with a plate in your foot. I can't wait to see how this looks. He is so <laughs> good, but a plate in your foot, that sounds like a major problem. Yeah, you know what? It, 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 anyone's guess, when you come back from that type of injury to see how a running back is going to do, I think it, it weighs heavily for the Titans going forward because, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're the number one seed and they played the way they did and got what they uh, achieved without Derrick Henry was a surprise. I kind of wrote them off when he went down with the injury. But, you know, give, give Coach uh, Vrabel the credit due because he found a way to rally his team and, and get them playing some smart football. They're, they're a pretty good team. I don't necessarily think they're – the best team in the AFC, but I think they're a really good one. And at home, I like the, their momentum. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, joining us. So, Chiefs Bills, who do you have? Um, I like the Bills this time. I think that, you know, last year when you watched the Chiefs Bills game in the AFC Championship, one of the biggest things that Joshua Allen struggled with was reading defenses. This year, he's been much better prepared. Uh, Dable uh, did a great job with him this season on how to read and recognize defenses. And he's just one of those guys that's going to take it upon himself, like a Patrick Mahomes, to make the plays when it comes. When it comes. The difference is the defensive side of the ball. I think the Bills' defense is much better than the Chiefs' defense, so I like the Bills. Now, you've been down on the Chiefs all year, and you've talked about 
you know, the extra hangover playoff games, the hangover yep. from losing the Super Bowl, and they've had some key personnel turnover in the middle of this run. Yes, the coach and quarterback have stayed in place, but not everybody else has. I'm curious if the if they break through and beat the Bills here, will you finally get on the Chiefs, or will you just keep picking against them every week? No, no. So you know what? It, look, I, I I will admit when I was wrong. I thought there was going to be a Super Bowl hangover. I think one of the biggest things they did right was they got themselves Melvin Ingram on defense, which really helped out. Um, you watch that Denver game. Denver had him until Ingram made that play, fumble for a touchdown. Uh, I don't know how you don't block a defensive end on a run play, but hey, that's <laughs> that's a, the Broncos' problem. Um, but when, it, when it's all said and done, the Chiefs are still good because they've got a quarterback, they've got a system that can generate points, and everyone's intimidated by them. So much to your point that you started with the, the first interview about, you know, field goals aren't going to win, you got to score touchdowns. That's sort of been the mindset in the AFC, especially when you play against that team. And it's harder to do than people give credit for. It's harder to get touchdowns. Sometimes you just have to play the percentages and hope that your defense can get a stop or get a turnover or maybe even get lucky like they did in that Broncos game. But the, the fact fact is, is that the Chiefs are a good football team. They've turned the corner. They find it, found a way to right their defense in a way to where they can, they can still give their offense the, the slight edge. Um, if they're able to overcome this game against the Bills, I've been high on the Bills all season. If, they've been able, if they can overcome the Bills, then I think they deserve another shot at the, in, in the Super Bowl, and I think they'll probably end up getting it. Some people pick NFL games and they do the pools and they use the confidence points where you're not just picking the games, but you're ranking them. And you put the right. most points on the game you have the most confidence in. So this week, if there were – there's four games. So there'd be uh, – I'd put four points on the Packers beating the Niners. I'd go on the radio and make definitive statements, and far too often it comes back to bite me and PK and y'all get to <laughs> laugh at me and mock me. But I don't see how the Niners win this game against the Packers – unless they get a bunch of turnovers, and that's what the Packers don't do. Rodgers, 37 touchdown passes, only four interceptions. Best in the league. That's that's it. So how do the Niners win this game? Do they just have to turn that pass rush loose because that's their most elite unit? That's where their advantage usually is. And if the front four dominates, they win, and otherwise they get beat. Time of possession. Controlling the clock. Good old-fashioned football tends to win in a playoff season like this. When you're able to run the football, the fact that the 49ers are a run-first team really aids them and, and, and helps them. If the Packers don't have an answer to contain the run of the 49ers, the 49ers should control the clock and keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline most of the day. So, Debo, yep. throw him short passes, hand him the ball, run the clock. Use it. Use everything that you can. To, to matriculate your way down the field, nice. take your time, and still find a way to score touchdowns. That puts the pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Not that he can't handle it, especially when his offense is capable. But if you put them in a pass-first situation where they have to keep up, then the advantage goes to your defensive front, where you can generate pressure with your front four because your secondary is a, a weakness that can be exposed. I love that when you drop and matriculate right there. That just tells me you're probably late 40s, early 50s. I mean, I know you're 50, but you're yeah, late yeah. 40s, early 50s. You watched NFL films because you love football, and when games weren't on, and you saw the coach mic'd up during the Super Bowl, Hank Stram, matriculate the ball down the field, guys. That's right. True story. True story. <laughs> uh, the Bucks and the Rams, super intriguing the Rams, they've got the talent to beat anybody, but that means you have to pick against Tom Brady, and that probably makes the average gambler break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, how about that? Um, 
You know, I early this year when uh, Stafford went to the Rams, I, I remember one of the things I did is I, I went to my my Vegas my Vegas friend and I put down a hundred dollars on twenty seven to one odds that the Rams would be in the NFC Championship, <laughs> and they're that close. And the reason why because I said the Rams were going to do go all out. Do whatever they could. They want. They have a Super Bowl filling team right now. They needed a quarterback, and I thought that when the Lions gave up Stafford, that's all they needed. With Stafford's ability, you know, that he's thrown picks and he's he's kept them down. They haven't been as as favored as they should have been, but they're still a good football team. And you saw what they did against the Cardinals. With that being said, I don't know if it's going to be enough to to beat even a depleted Bucks team. They really have to have a great game. More importantly, Stafford can't afford to throw interceptions. And if we've seen anything out of Todd Bowles over the last couple of years, his defense has been ready to answer the challenge. So with that being said, I, I hope the Rams win for my wallet's sake. I just don't know if they can. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Lincoln Kennedy. and I, I love Lincoln. So much personality. He breaks it down and brings it down to the – to the base level, this is a guy. Uh, so, Eric, I don't know if you do you have you heard Lincoln much this year with DJ and PK. I don't know if you have, but he, no. But I'm I mean I'm you, familiar with you, his work. You've done the you've done the Raiders, Raiders game, but it, yeah. so he came on. So this was so last week. So right before the wild card games, and DJ uh, brings up the fact that the Cincinnati Las Vegas Raiders game. And they just broke down the Raiders season that loss in the wild card to Cincinnati about how the fact that Cincinnati hadn't won a game in 31 years, hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years, and also DJ brought up the fact that it had been 19 years since the Raiders had won a playoff game. Well, Lincoln comes on immediately afterwards like, guys, I don't mean to date myself, but I was playing for that Raiders team the last time we won in the playoffs. He's great. He is fantastic. And I love having him on. He's become a really good friend. He's a great, great dude. I've got some really good thoughts on the playoffs. All right, um, so Eric, we, we already kind of went through our picks here, but you mentioned something earlier on that, that intrigued me. You think that one side of the AFC bracket is destined to, to make the Super Bowl, and you think it's the winner of the of the Bills Chiefs? You think it's no contest? They're just going to roll through to the Super Bowl? Yeah, roll through is a strong word, strong way of putting it. Okay, but I like the chances of the Bills or the Chiefs against the Titans or the Bengals uh, much better than I like the Titans or Bengals ch- chances. Okay. I think the Titans could get there if things really break their way. If Derrick Henry is all the way back and is crazy good, I think the Titans could get there. That, well, that, that would throw a wrench in everybody's thinking, I think. But we don't know if that's that's the case yet, and yeah. I really do think if Patrick Mahomes gets back to the AFC Conference Championship game, he's got, not going to let that moment pass him by. He's proven that already – that once he gets to that game, he locks into a different level. And if Josh Allen gets there, it's been so long since Buffalo's been in the Super Bowl, like, they are going to be locked in. And they went four straight years in the 90s, and they haven't been back since. Yep, and I think they'll be locked in, and they'll they'll try, they'll okay. likely get back. I like that. I, I actually kind of, okay. I, I I just wanted to know kind of more what your thought process is, but I, I respect it. I think everything you got some well-thought-out uh reasoning behind all that. I don't think I don't think Joe Burrow I 
I really do believe in playoff experience. Well, Cincinnati's not there yet. Yeah, like Cincinnati needs playoff experience. Uh Like this is going to be good for playoff experience. And if they get the upset today, if they beat the Titans, that'll be great. That'll add another another dimension to it. But they are not the caliber of roster that the Chiefs and the Bills are all around. Yeah. So if it's the Bengals, I I don't think there's a chance. And the Titans, maybe it's like a little bit higher, but I, I feel like the Bills or the Chiefs are, are going to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC. I, I and I can see that, and I I probably I, I tend to agree with your your thought process there because I'm with you. Cincinnati, they may win today, but I'm with you. They just they're not yeah at the level that they need to be at to be a Super Bowl caliber winning team yet. They got great foundational pieces. It's good to have a quarterback and wide receiver like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, but they got to get the other stuff around them. So interesting thoughts. All right, so there you go. Thank you to Lincoln Kennedy. Thank you to DJ and PK for letting us use that audio. And I say that because I produce that show so I can take whatever I want from that show. I do the work on it, so good times. All right, coming up next, we'll get to five minutes of, hit on some of the topics we have not had a chance to touch on quite yet today. We're going to get to Saki, some college hoop. We'll get to all of that coming up next right here on the Saturday show. The weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. J-Lo. You need to say that on air sometime. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I was just saying as we've coming in this puppy. I have not heard this version. I haven't heard Pitbull in a hot minute, so I like it. All right. Eric going with more of a hip hop like Latin fair. Jenny from the block. I like it. Okay, okay. I I can respect that. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks for joining us, everybody, here on this Saturday. I want to remind you guys that if you didn't know this, Valentine's Day is coming very soon. Take care of that special someone in your life with flowers from Jimmy's Flowers. Order early for the best selection at jimmysflowers.com or visit their stores in Bountiful, Layton, or Ogden. That's our friends at Jimmy's Flowers. They've been with the Zone. I've been doing radio now for over a decade. Crazy to think about. Jimmy's Flowers has been part of what my radio career has been f- that entire time, if not, and it's been longer than that. So they are a great, great sponsor here on the station. All right, uh, let's get to five minutes of here. And this the whole idea behind this segment, if you're just checking us out for the first time, is for us to hit on the other topics and other sports stories that we have not had a chance to touch on quite yet today. We spent a uh, large amount of the time on the Utah Jazz as well as the NFL playoffs, as you would expect. But let's talk a little bit more about what's going on in other sports. And let's get to one of our staples here in five minutes of, and that is what we lovingly refer to as Saki. Jota, Alexander-Arnold's pass, and Jota goes on, and he's dangerous, and he scores! With a miss-hit shot, Diogo Jota puts Liverpool in front in this semi-final, completely against the run of play in the first 17-18 minutes of the game. The average and the save percentage are better than the all-star Talbot, and when the draw gets. 
Here's McCarr. Back to McKinnon. One timer. Shape by Kagan. A rebound. Score! Nico Rantanen throws it off Kagan's back and ricochets it in. Coming off a two goal performance in Arizona. Pookie pressing. Norwich have it back. McLean. Pookie didn't get the ball he wanted, but he's got it back here. Oh! Extraordinary! From Sargent, and it did cross the line. An astonishing finish via the crossbar. And what a vital goal it could prove to be for Norwich. Final touch on uh, Chelsea's over in the Carabao Cup semi-final as well. Lookman, Dakar, Lookman, and Dakar! Totally against the run of play. Now Antonio Conte ruining the missed chances. But Patson Decker strikes. And the roof lifts off the King Power Stadium. The tank. Screen is set in front. Malkin with it now. Malkin. Russ. Cross ice and Crosby with the power play goal. And the Penguins will continue on the power play. Crosby second of the night. It's Hurdle. Across for Meyer. Toe drag. He did it! History at the Shark Tank as Timo Meyer becomes the first San Jose Shark in 31 years to score five goals in a game. The greatest individual goal scoring performance in the history of the franchise. There you go, the open where we meld both soccer and hockey. And Eric, uh, that five goal performance in NHL, I didn't know how rare that was. Uh, so can can you help? Okay, I feel like I represent most people in the state where hockey is not necessarily the sport they pay attention to slash know much about. But how rare is it to have a five goal game in NHL history? A Lemieux. Uh, indeed. Uh, very rare. Okay. I, I mean, even the, you know, you see guys like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon, guys we talk about on this program as being some of the best hockey players in Elite. the world, yeah. come out and, and they might have five points in a night, but it is very rare that you see a player come out and score five goals. It's just... It's unheard of. I mean, you look at how rare the hat trick is in the NHL. You know, it it only happens for those best players maybe five, six times a year you get a hat trick. And to get a hat trick plus two more is – it's crazy. And it's, you know, it speaks – that clip speaks to how rare it is because the San Jose Sharks Mm -hmm. been around for a while now, been around since, you know, uh, the late 80s and – they have not had a franchise player score five goals in 31 years, and the fact that Timo Meyer was able to do it's pretty impressive. Yeah. All right. Where else? What else we got going on in the hockey world? My Seattle Kraken are actually won, you know, back-to-back games. That was kind of fun. But other than that, they suck. <laughs> yeah, a uh, lot of great saves associated with the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury with an incredible glove mm-hmm. save the other night. Philip Grubauer with a great blocker slave sl- uh, sa- uh, save. Tongue twisted all the time. Uh, great goaltending by both those guys. Um, 
you know, NHL is weird because it's kind of a steady stream of just marching along. Things feel sure. like, you know, it's very much like the NBA season. We're in, we're in the doldrums of winter. And a lot's happening, but a lot has stayed the same status quo-wise. You know, the Avalanche remain very good and, and kind of the top of the Western Conference. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning remain very good, are playing good hockey right now. Pittsburgh's coming on. That's that's a story to watch. To me, that's, that's the biggest story. Sidney Crosby scored a hat trick last night. Sidney Crosby is, I believe, let me just check his age here. I want to say... Sid, the kid's my age, I think. Close to 40. Sid, Sidney Crosby? Yeah. He's my age. He's 34, 35. Sidney Crosby. He's born in 87. He's born in the same year as me, if I'm not mistaken. You are right, 34 years old. So, not as old as I thought, but still, 34 years Sid's old. Sid's been playing since he was 19, 19. in NHL. So, yeah. he's he's ancient by NHL right. standard of how long he's been playing for. Right. But it's it's crazy that he and guys like Alex Ovechkin, sure. who's, oh, who's, yeah. who's pushing 40. Oh, he's 37 this, now, I think. Who's pushing 40 at yeah. this point, are, are still incredible players and at the top of their game night in and night out, so. Yeah, absolutely. All right, on the soccer side of things, real quick here, uh, Major League Soccer is back in preseason action. I guess training camp, uh, Real Salt Lake returned to training camp earlier this week. Uh, They had, what, a good seven weeks off, and they're right back at it. Uh, They will be opening the season next month, crazily enough. I know it's the end of next month, but still, uh, we have MLS action beginning in February. Uh, Real Salt Lake, uh, according to reports out there, Demir Krylock is the new team captain for Real Salt Lake after Albert Rusnok's uh, departure for Seattle. Shouldn't be all that surprising because Dami has become, I think, one of the top five players in franchise history already. Yeah. It's crazy. He was getting MVP consideration last As year at one point. Yeah, uh, pretty much one of the only good players on the roster. It's gonna be an interesting year. There's a lot of young guys. Axel Kai, uh, who they just signed from the academy, six foot four, fourteen year old, broke Freddie Adu's record for the youngest player to sign a professional contract in uh, soccer history. So. Yeah, to steal uh, MLS Extra Time Radio's terminology, the RSL strategy seems to be to play your kids. So mm. we're gonna we're gonna see what that looks like. Literally, this year. kids. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about it. Axel Kai, fourteen years old, he's already six foot four. Crazy wow. to think he it's he's crazy. he's a pretty elite talent. If you believe people talk, I mean, they've signed a number of other guys out of that academy who are 14, 15, 16 years old, and yeah, they're going all in on this on this youth movement. They do have some established veterans. We already talked about Dami, Diego Rubio, uh, not Diego Rubio, Rubio Rubin. Excuse me, ah, that was a gaffe. Uh, he is up top along with Bobby Wood at the forward spots. Justin Glad, who's a former academy prospect himself, holding on that back line. Marcelo Silva, Aaron Herrera still there. There's some established veterans, but behind them, it is very very young now. One other thing on the soccer front, Eric. Did you see this about uh, Las Vegas reportedly looking at yes. getting an MLS franchise? Yep. So Major League Soccer has entered an exclusive talks with Aston Villa co-owners Wes Edens and Nassif Sawiris. I'm going to pronounce that correctly. But securing the rights to bring an MLS expansion team to Las Vegas was announced on Friday. The news first appeared in the Las Vegas Review-Journal, which, by the way, 
The LVRJ does an incredible job covering all things sports down there. Uh, Edens is the co-owner of the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so this would be an interesting thing. They're saying that they would have to obviously build a stadium and also be have the capability of playing indoors. Commissioner Don Garber said that's a requirement for a team if they were going to play in Las Vegas. All told, the entire cost of a stadium, expansion fee, and other startup costs, which would probably include uh, practice facility, all that stuff, would be a, approximately a cool $1 billion with a B. That's a lot. So interesting. I'd, I'd like to ask you a question okay. about that, about Vegas. Yeah. When is VNBA getting involved? Because that, it feels like yeah. that's where the last kind of bastion before they, they because they're already becoming a major sports market. They, they have are. an NHL team, they have an NFL franchise. WNBA is in there. NFL is the king of everything. So if you have a franchise, you're pretty much on the map. Yeah. But it just feels like the NBA already does so much stuff there. They play summer league there. There's all kinds of conference championship basketball tournaments the there. Las Vegas Aces and the WNBA play there already. Yeah, they have the stadiums. They have the infrastructure. T-Mobile Arena. Yeah. Like, I don't – when when are when are we getting an NBA team in Vegas? I think uh, when – okay, at this point it's when, I think, that the NBA expands. There are two markets I think that they should look at. This is just my personal opinion. I think one of them the NBA is going to do is Las Vegas. I think Las Vegas will get an expansion franchise. I think they're going to go to 32 uh, and I'm hopeful, this is just my personal opinion on this, that Las Vegas and then Vancouver gets a franchise again. Give Vancouver an NBA franchise. Have another anchor in Canada and put it back in Vancouver. It's unfortunate the Grizzlies were forced to move or decided to move when they did, moving to Memphis. But uh, if I'm Memphis, I'd actually rebrand and give the Grizzlies back to Vancouver. Those uniforms are elite. I know they picked Bryant Big Country Reeves, and that kind of pretended the demise of that Vancouver franchise back in the day. But I am hopeful that when the NBA decides to expand, it's two teams here in the Western United States. Las Vegas absolutely needs to be one. Oh, and by the way, there's a certain other franchise out there called the Seattle Supersonics that have been ripped away from their fan base. I would love to see Seattle back. I just think that if you want to continue to build what you're building in Canada, you need to have another Canadian team, so I want to see Vancouver. That's just me. Yeah. And I just think the way the NBA is trending towards their wild acceptance of sports gambling, Vegas just makes too much sense. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, but real quick on that Las Vegas front with the MLS, uh, Edens and Swears were behind a group who actually filed this past June a trademark to the name, so it would be in June of 2021, trademark to the name, quote, the Las Vegas Villains. Being owners of Aston Villa, that works. I kind of like that. Las Vegas Villains because it works with the seedy underside of Las Vegas's history. And well, One last thing. Okay. I know our listeners might not care, but Aston Villa, a little connection, mm-hmm. the Premier League. It is crazy how within a month we have blinked and suddenly Manchester City is like 11 points clear. Have we really been surprised, though? No, but (laughs) it's just crazy how quickly that happens. It felt like Liverpool had a legitimate shot like a month ago, and Mm -hmm. now it's it's over. Like the title race is over, Yeah, which is one of the downsides of playing in a a top-heavy 
table format like that but it feels like the premier league is going the way yeah the premier league is kind of going the way it feels like of what the german bundesliga deals with with bayern munich and also the la liga in spain deals with both real madrid and barca uh, barcelona but i don't know maybe i'm wrong about that all right uh one other thing before we go here in five minutes i want to talk some college hoop uh utah gave ucla everything they could handle the other night i was actually very impressed with utah's uh fight in that game against the ninth ranked bruins uh but they did fall in the end Utah dropping to 8 and 11 on the year. They are 1 and 8, anchored to the bottom of the Pac 12, unfortunately. The, the impressive part is this team has not given up. That is what I like about what I'm seeing from the running Utes. They do welcome USC to the Huntsman Center this afternoon. That'll be at 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time, the tip-off on the Pac 12 network. We'll see how the Utes uh, respond after that near uh, upset of UCLA, if they can get back and get USC. This USC team is really, really good. So probably better than UCLA. You think so? Yeah, I oh. think USC is like they have that hiccup against Oregon. Sure, but yeah. but Oregon's beating everybody right now. But Oregon's playing good too. BYU's I mean, very happy. They have a thirty-seven point win over Oregon. Yeah, I, can tell you I, I would. Much. I would say, I, I to me, the Pac-12 basketball hierarchy right now goes USC, UCLA, Oregon. Okay. All right. And then it's just a mess. I don't even know if they're going to get more than three bids in, but we'll see. Uh, but it's it's not it's not a great conference. Uh, BYU, who this is just my personal opinion. I know that the Big Sky with SUU and Weber, they're expected to be in contention to make the NCAA tournament. It appears, for all intents and purposes, that BYU could be the lone team representing this state in the NCAA tournament yep. come March. Uh, Cougars sitting at 16-4 and four on the season. They are 4-1 and one in West Coast Conference play. They welcome Portland to the Marriott Center tonight, 7 o'clock Mountain Time on BYU TV. Uh, to show you the disparity between the Pilots, who are 10-8 and eight on the season, and the Cougars, do you know what the line is currently for this game, Eric? Give me a guess. 25. 20. BYU a 20-point favorite in this one. Uh, for example, just for comparison's sake, USC at Utah, the line is USC minus 5.5. So. Part of me uh, with this BYU team gets a little concerned that they – beat up against the bad teams, but kind of struggle when they play higher class. Counterpoint. Uh, you know, opponents. The West Coast Conference currently has four top 40 teams. That is true. BYU just played the other three in a week and a half span. They played St. Mary's at home, went to Gonzaga, went to USF. They went 2-1 and one in those games. I was very impressed with that. I want to see them... I feel like there have been moments this year where on their losses there are a few like head scratchers. Well, in their wins there's been head scratchers. Yeah. This well, is not a pretty BYU team. Well, I would be very clear about yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I just want to see like beat up beat up on Portland State and beat up on Pacific back to back. Yeah. But, San Diego. Yeah, but huh? you are right. This unfortunately I've come to I we can move to Utah State now. I I've come to a realization. Do we need to talk about Utah State? The fact that they can't I've seemingly get over the hump. I've come to a, a realization. Some people think they're terrible. I don't think that's the case. We're talking about the Aggies or the Cougars? The Aggies. Okay. I think what we have stumbled upon is the Aggies have gone from an elite Mountain West Conference team to a middling one. This is a middle of the pack. This is a first year of the of a new coaching right. staff. That is true. But let's just talk about this year. Okay. It's a middle of a pack team. Sure. That has 
a problem in that it doesn't have a guy yet that that like entirely steps up in clutch time all the time. It doesn't have a Sam Merrill. It doesn't have a Namish K. Put some respect on Justin Bean's now, name. I do like Justin Bean. You're going to have not, Aggie fans coming at you know, in droves. I know, but I, I'm. there are things about this Aggie team that annoy me. Like the fact that they, they talk about defensive struggles for the Jazz. Almost every single one of these losses that they've had Late has yeah. come on guys missing rotations and late threes being hit on them. Boise State, they lost that game. The guy had not made a shot in that game. Right. They missed it. You're talking about, I think, wasn't it a missed rotation? Fresno, Fresno, there was a missed rotation. CSU, there was a missed rotation. Yeah. It has not always looked pretty. They are too well coached. To continue losing like this, I believe in Ryan Odom and the coaching staff there. Mm-hmm. But they have, you know, they have a very tough opponent in San Diego State on Wednesday night, Correct. and then things ease up a little bit. They have a, a stretch of Air Force, UNLV, Nevada. Now the I'm issue with the issue there, they lost to Air Force. <laughs> so uh, if they s- somehow go through that stretch. At one and two, oh boy, that things are things are not going to go well because, yeah. and unfortunately, unless they win the Mountain West title, they have kind of walked themselves out of being in any postseason competitions. Maybe they get to the CIT, but yeah, maybe so. So who, yeah, who so knows? A big opportunity for them. BYU Portland tonight, seven o'clock. I'm with you. BYU needs to beat up on the Pilots. Uh, uh, Shante Legans, the new head coach of Portland, has done a good job re- getting that program back to what it is, even is right now, because Portland was awful. And I mean, awful, awful, awful uh, under their former head coach, Terry Porter. So he's done a decent job getting them above 500. Utah, big opportunity here against USC once again, 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Network. Other local teams in action, in case you are wondering, uh, Dixie State and Utah Valley are in action in WAC play. Dixie hosting UT Rio Grande Valley in, in St. George, 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Utah Valley hosts Lamar, who is a healthy 2-16 and 16 on the year. Oof. Uh, that's at 2 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. And then Southern Utah hosts Idaho State at 2 o'clock, also on ESPN+. Plus. The Thunderbirds off to a 10-5 and start this season. So there you go. College Hoop, and we are over time now, so we'll come back, get some feedback in, and see what Eric might have to, you know, have some fun as we go out the door. This is the Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. The weekend! You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show. Thank you for joining us here on this Saturday. It's proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right. As we go out the door here, Eric normally uh, has something that roasts me, but uh, Eric, you struck a nerve with one of our listeners today. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> so this is coming on you today. Okay. Our good friend, uh, Clint O'Pete, uh, Clint Knight. Uh, Clint, are you ever going to get your Twitter 
actual Twitter account back, I hope. Uh, he had his other one suspended. Uh, you can tweet at me, uh, Clint. But uh, he brought this up earlier on when we were talking about the NFL playoffs. Uh, is this another quip about me being too young? Uh, no, so like Clint Pete. So this, there, there are a few tweets here, Eric. First one, this one comes when we were talking about when we were making our picks earlier on. It says, tell Eric to lay off the sauce. Uh, and I knew what his reference was immediately because he's talking about your hot take about our good friend, uh, or I guess your good friend, uh, Ryan Tannehill being a top 10 adjacent quarterback. He is a top 10 adjacent <laughs> quarterback. That is the exact <laughs> correct language. So later on in the show, I, I continue here. This is about tw- this is 21 minutes ago. Uh, Clint O'Pete sends this in here. Ryan Tannehill could score five goals. Hashtag solid, solidly mediocre. We're talking about the five goals. Uh, uh, was it Who was it for the Sharks? The, Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer. Uh, and then uh, this... You know what BYU needs? Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> Lots of Ryan Tannehill slander. I personally won't stand for it. Clinton Pete having some fun with you today. Uh, so there for you go. Uh, sure. One other one before we go here, and this one comes from a good friend, Osteo Masses. Versus Detroit, Joe Ingles ended with a minus 11 worst on the team. Oof. He says that uh, Quinn should be lectured by Ainge or Ryan, speaking of Ryan Smith, the owner, on how to develop players and use rotation. Excellence should be enforced. Subpar plays should be benched. Okay. Uh, it finishes it with hashtag play Pascal, hashtag emancipate Elijah, hashtag Utah Jazz. Okay, anyway, Austin Math, here's the deal. I hate to say this, but Joe Ingles has been a very proud member of this franchise since the day that he arrived here, and he's been a key part of the rotation. Is he shooting well right now? No. Is he struggling? Yes. I think it's objectively easy to say, and you can watch the games and say that. The other issue is you, you're saying that you want to insert Eric Paschal or Elijah Hughes into Joe Ingles' spot. The one thing neither of them have that Joe Ingles has is the ability to initiate this offense. He is a point forward in every sense of the word. He initiates this offense. He is kind of that off-ball uh, guard when either Mike Conley and or Donovan Mitchell are on the court. And right now, Donovan Mitchell is not available. So you'd be taking off one of the few guys who is able to initiate your offense, and I guess in theory you'd find a guy who could do that, but what are you going to do in the interim? Are you going to go find equal value for Joe Ingles in the interim? I don't think you are. So I get what you're saying, but at the same time, you're asking for something that you're not doing like for like. And you have to have like for like, I feel like, in this circumstance, especially considering you're dealing with these injury concerns right now when one of your primary ball handlers and maybe your best player in Don Mitchell, he's one of the two best players on this team, is unavailable. So, and also, if you're, and I know that the people who respond would say that, well, you need Joe Ingles, you trade him. Well, guess what? The only way to get trade value for Joe Ingles is to have him on the court and show what he can do. So, I don't know. Hopefully that helps clear some things up but at the same time i i disagree with that take let's just put it that way all right that's going to do it for today's edition of the saturday show a huge thank you to all of you for tuning in you can find anything you missed on this show we put it on our twitter feed just search out the saturday show should be popping up in your podcast provider of choice uh for eric i'm jake a big thank you once again for joining us we'll be back next week on saturday right here on the saturday show on 97.5 fm 1280 am and the zone sports network see you